Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. This episode is the first international one as I speak to Rebecca Jones who runs Chateau de la Rouche, a boutique B&B in France. Rebecca is one of the stars of TV show Escape to the Chateau DIY, which is back on Channel 4 from March 23rd. And she explains with heartfelt honesty how she and husband Tim decided to buy their property and the transition to being a self-employed married couple. With their children, they have made a new life in France, and while they're currently under lockdown due to coronavirus, she talks about the usual day-to-day highs and lows of running their business, especially when a film crew is around. Rebecca shares what it's like being a customer-facing freelancer and praises Instagram for helping business come in. While her days can start at 5am, that's fine by her as it's all for her own business, not a big boss. Escape to the Chateau DIY is on Channel 4 and More 4. Welcome to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. I am interviewing Rebecca Jones, who is joining me from Chateau de la Rouche in France. Um, Rebecca, do introduce yourself and tell us what your freelance is. Hello, everybody. Um, Yes, I live at Chateau de la Rouche in uh, Le Pays de Loire, France. And my husband and I run the chateau as a luxury bed and breakfast. Um, But at the same time, we are still renovating it. So it's a bit of a... A project with many angles. Goodness. And people like I do might know you from a TV show called Escape to the Chateau DIY. So not only do you have renovations going on at the same time trying to run a business by yourselves, you also often have film crews there. Yes. Just to add into the mix in case there wasn't enough going on in your your self-employed life. (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's uh, both a blessing and uh, slightly terrifying having a TV crew following you the whole time. It's obviously amazing for our business. That adds another aspect of uh, stress and um, <laughs> chaos. Generally. I can imagine. I can imagine. So t- tell me sort of, first of all, I guess, what does freelance feels mean to you? Are you, do you consider yourself freelance? I know you were a freelancer in a previous work life but do you now consider yourself self-employed or business owners tell, tell us all a little bit about that yes um yes yeah, so uh, quite a while ago before I had children I was um a freelance journalist so I was kind of used to working for myself chasing invoices this, and yeah, that malarkey invoices yeah and that kind of stuff but this is quite different mainly because I'm working with my husband um, and we're kind of we own the business together and we're kind of freelancing together so in that sense I don't necessarily have that I've been by myself all day it's now 4 30 and I really really need to speak to somebody um, because otherwise I'm going to go slightly insane although Sunday <laughs> he probably wishes that I, I didn't speak to him all day that would probably be easier um, yeah working together must be I'll ask you again about that in a minute actually finish what you were going to say but it's like being together must be strange sometimes but yeah so yeah. you're kind of I guess business owners rather than freelancers but yeah so business if you owners, guys don't do it nobody does it sort of thing yes and it is but we are very much working for ourselves which is one of the reasons why we did this and one of the reasons why we moved here was because mm-hmm. we wanted to be able to work together run a business together and work for ourselves and not kind of be beholden to anybody else which is amazing but also has its moments. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I guess it's because of the nature of what you do as well, it's very client facing, isn't it? You know, you mm. can't have a day of clients are coming. Clients for you are people who come to stay in the house you've created. Yeah. Where it isn't, yeah. you know, clients for a lot of people are someone at the end of an email that they never see, or it might be someone in a business sense in terms of a meeting or a conference. But for you, clients are people who turn up with a suitcase looking for 
an idyllic experience in the countryside yeah, yeah. An, an idyllic experience in our home but so that kind of is a very interesting dynamic at times um, and obviously because we have two children who are seven and nine that can be quite a challenge too because uh, <laughs> people are coming to stay with us for a, a luxury uh, relaxing break and in our side of the house uh, there are two children who um, who are getting increasingly better at being quiet when guests are around but also <laughs> I like them to still be able to have a childhood so it's a it's an interesting mm, balance. Yeah, was, was it different moving? I guess there's so many different things about your freelance that I love the fact that you've moved to another country as well. So not only did you go into business together, but you went to France, which is quite notorious for being the world of red tape, as yes. I understand it. But do you find that people find your freelance, as it were, is very idyllic, but actually the reality is not quite what people at home might expect. You know, they think you're out on the patio with bottle of rosé as sun goes down sort of thing <laughs> yeah I think I managed to do that once last summer um, yeah we get a lot of that it's the kind of dream lifestyle and it and it is a dream so many people dream of moving to France doing a chateau running it with a business or, or just doing the renovations and everything and it, and it is a dream and we try really hard not to take it for granted mm -hmm. and to realize how privileged we are to the situation and to have this opportunity but uh, it is incredibly hard work I have never done a job that has been more stressful or that I've had to do um, work such long hours for it's immensely rewarding and absolutely phenomenal in every single way but if if anyone's listening to me and thinking oh, I really want to buy a chateau and move and it's amazing and we'll spend our time sat in the garden drinking rosé and living this wonderful slow French existence when you get those moments they are amazing and we get to live in this phenomenal place and it's beautiful and I have these magical moments every now and again that remind me why I did it but mm -hmm. I have to say I've never worked so hard in my life as I do doing this business and I think part of that is because it's our own business and we feel very passionate about it and we have a very clear vision of where we want it to go and and we're putting in those hours and working that hard because we want to create that and I think that's one of the things about being freelance because you're doing it for yourself you're not working for somebody else you're working for you so so it's half five in the morning when I'm awake uh, answering messages that, uh, on my Instagram account because I've got lots of lovely people talking to me about how phenomenal everything looks it's kind of fine because it, it's my business and that's amazing. And I certainly wouldn't have been doing that if I was employed by somebody else. I would be there going, well, I'll reply to those at nine o'clock. But I know that at nine o'clock, I'll be doing something else that is also really important for my business. So, Oh, that's such of. a good point. And I guess that makes me think as well, which other freelancers and self-employed people tell me all the time, is people with staff jobs in particular sort of forget that you're, you're, you're the everything, aren't you? So you're the social media person and you could outsource that. But I guess with your background, you'd probably be foolish too because you probably yeah. know a bit about what you're doing but yeah you're kind of um you know you have to balance the books you have to think about repairs you're the every person aren't you you're sort yeah. of and in another yeah. country yeah so yes we are the uh we do marketing we do social media we do cleaning the toilets we do serving breakfast we do cooking the meals we literally do everything at the moment and and yes in being in france has its own complications because as you say france is quite notorious for paperwork <laughs> although I have been thinking about it and, and actually I think whatever country you're in, 
the kind of the tax system and the paperwork and the money side of things and the legal side of things and everything is always going to be complicated in a in a country where you're not speaking where the language isn't your first language yes. and where you're you're living somewhere else in a different culture and you don't really understand how things work it's kind of given me a new appreciation of what it must be like in the UK from someone that's coming in from somewhere else trying to get them their head around HMRC and our tax system and everything I mean, it gives me a headache thinking about it, and I grew up with it. So the French system is another level on top of that. But if I was <laughs> yeah. if I was French in England, I'd probably think the same thing. That's a really <clears> good <throat> point, actually. It makes yeah, it makes me grateful that I at least can approach HMRC in my own language. What yeah. what made you choose France? What was your life before? Tell us a little bit about sort of why you moved to France and what was before, and and sort of did you give up work immediately? How did everything fall into place for you guys there? Okay, so this is a slightly ridiculous story, and I'm always <laughs> slightly embarrassed to tell it. But Right Move was my number one hobby when we lived in the UK. I was always sending Tim million pound properties that we couldn't afford uh, going look at this amazing place wouldn't it be phenomenal we could move and we could run it as a wedding venue and it would be phenomenal and he was always going yeah yeah okay crazy lady we'll never be able to afford a house like that don't be ridiculous and we had a, an absolutely beautiful four-bedroom victorian townhouse that we'd renovated in stamford in lincolnshire and we loved it and we had amazing friends and and a, and a great lifestyle going out every weekend and being with the kids and all that kind of stuff and but we were kind of in a position where we'd kind of done our careers, uh, got kind of where we wanted to with them. I was working as a journalist, Tim was working in engineering. And we were kind of like, right, well, we've done the careers, we've got married, we've renovated the house, we've got the two kids, what's next? And what next seemed to be um, retirement, which might be depressingly about 40 years away. And we just couldn't bear the thought of being in the same, doing the same thing for the next 40 years. And obviously I kept sending these properties to Tim going, oh, this could be our way out. We could run a business, et cetera, et cetera. But obviously we could never afford something like this house in the UK. So yeah. Tim was away working in China and um, I was at my mum and dad's for some R&R with the kids. And my dad is a phenomenal channel hopper and I absolutely hate it. And so it was a Saturday <laughs> evening and I said, look, I'm not going to spend another Saturday night watching you flick through terrible TV shows. I'm going to find something and we're just going to watch it. And there happened to be a rerun of Escape to the Chateau on Channel 4. And I put it on and we started watching it. And, um, and I said to my mum, this programme must be like 15 years old or something. There's, there's absolutely no way you can buy a chateau for that amount of money. Now, this must be really old. And so then I googled, how much does it cost to buy a chateau in France? Mm. Realised that I could swap my four-bed Victorian townhouse for uh, a 15-bedroom chateau with 15 acres of land. And then emailed Tim and went, I've just watched this programme. <laughs> and he emailed me back as usual and said, don't be ridiculous, you crazy lady. We're not doing that. But then he watched the show online and then started Googling and he found uh, this chateau and we kept coming back to pictures of it. Mm -hmm. And then we happened to be coming on holiday to France at Easter and we were going to be about three hours away. And unbeknownst to me, he uh, rang the estate agent and asked for the particulars oh. and then said, look, we should let's just go and have a look at it. And then if, if nothing else happens, we can say once in our life, we went to look at a chateau in France and thought about maybe moving there. And then, so we came and uh, I knew I was in trouble as soon as we hit the driveway because I've mm. always, always loved country, tree-lined country lanes. Mm. And that's what it is. 
and um, I was desperate to hate it because I just thought this is going to be a massive decision and I really want to hate it. And we were here for three hours and we walked around and looked at everything and the rooms were <laughs> coming and it was just... It, and we were, it was more run down than we thought it was going to be, but it was beautiful outside. And, and we got back in the car and he said, well, wh what do you think then? And I was like, no, no, we're not doing it. I will end up moving in November and the children won't speak French and we won't be fr speak French and it'll be freezing cold and we'll all be miserable. And so we didn't speak for two days. And then uh, he, he, we'd taken loads of pictures when we were going around and yeah. Tim very carefully filed them all into folders on the, so bedroom one, bedroom 15, like filed them all into folders on the computer and then just kept kind of sliding the plan that the estate agent had given us a floor, floor pan, sliding it in front of me going, you know, we could, we could do this with this room and, and this with this room. And then, and then eventually I knew, I kind of knew that it was going to happen and, and I was just a bit in denial. We came back to England uh, made an offer which was rejected, made another offer, put our house on the market, sold our house and that was in the April and by September we'd got the keys and we'd moved in. My goodness. So it was a bit mad. That's such a great story because it's such an amazing example of like well if you're gonna go self-employed and work together go big or well kind of go to another home. You really really went for it, you didn't just say oh let's buy you know a small yeah. barn in Shropshire or something or somewhere near where you lived and think well let's renovate that and see how that goes and then jump you just was it quite exciting though because there's a kind of an excitement there isn't there it's like yeah let's what's the worst that can happen we'll have to sell it and come home well, that's just sort of worst case isn't it I suppose. That mm. was it. And we kind of looked at each other one day and, and Tim sort of said, where would, if we don't do this, what will we have done? And I said, well, we'll probably still be living in the same house and we'll have a perfectly lovely life. But all we will really have achieved is that we will have paid off a big chunk of our mortgage. And then we looked at each other and we thought, well, actually, is that all we want to achieve? Or should we just do something really ridiculous, like sell everything we own, buy a ridiculously run-down chateau in the middle of a field in France and, and have an adventure instead? So that's what we decided to do. I love it. Oh my goodness. It's, it's giving me the tingles to think, it's making me want to go online and look at chateaus in France. I'm going to be the next one probably at this rate. I love that story. That's really cool. It's still quite fun to say it out loud as well. Just like, it's the kind of story you read or you probably wrote about people and suddenly you're thinking, hold on, I'm, I'm the story now. Everyone always says, oh, it's such a brave thing to do. But it mm. never really felt like, it's never really felt kind of brave. It kind of always felt like it was meant to happen. Mm -hmm. And various obstacles kind of cropped up on the way that might have put other people off. But once we'd kind of got it into our heads, we would <laughs> we'd sit there in, in our office jobs at work, emailing each other going oh god I can't stand this anymore how much longer have we got and, and then a problem would crop up and we because nobody knew obviously we, we kind of surreptitiously put our house we didn't want to tell anybody in case it all fell through mm. so we told our family and a very few friends but we didn't want to say to our our jobs oh look we're in the middle of possibly buying this house in France we're going to leave <coughs> in case yeah, it just in case. Mm. and then we ended up with no jobs so we were having to do everything I was in stairwells taking phone calls from estate agents and we were kind of emailing each other going this has just happened what's going to happen and, and, and then we'd be kind of worrying that it was all going to fall through and we were both so kind of terrified that it would fall through mm. and we were kind of so invested in it in that point we would almost kind of we'd do anything to make it work and kind of accept things that perhaps weren't perfect just because we we just kind of got this dream in our heads then and it was yeah. kind of meant Your to hearts be had gone to it hadn't they and it's sort of and in terms of moving and setting up a business we sort of chatted a little bit about the sort of going to another country, but you moved with family as well. 
didn't you? Yeah. I, I don't know what year. What year did you move out there? Tell us what year you went. So we moved in September 2017, and the kids were. Uh, so we've got two boys, Rufus and Laurie, and Rufus was seven, and Laurie was five. And so um, how did it feel, sort of having young kids and thinking? we're putting all our eggs in this self-employed yeah. business basket here and we're bringing our kids along. Did that add to kind of stresses or challenges? Not the business stress of mm. it, weirdly. I kind of have always felt like we would find a way to make the business work, whatever happens. So that bit of it never worried me, but the kids were my main worry. Every kind of moving them, taking them away from family and friends, moving them to a school, dumping them in a school, when they didn't speak a word of French, they could literally say, my name is, and can I go to the toilet? That was the only thing that they knew how to say when they arrived at school. <laughs> are they fluent um, now? They're fluent now, yeah. yeah it's kids are just, oh, pick up languages amazingly, yeah. Yeah, and they were, they coped with it really well. Um, but I do have these kind of two enduring memories of them starting school. Um, and they, but by the time we got here, they'd been on hold some holidays for 12 weeks because we didn't get here okay. till the middle of September so we were kind of thoroughly sick of family time so we kind of we arrived on the Sunday we went to see the school on the Thursday and they started on the Friday and um it happened to be school picture day the day that they started and I remember getting this school oh. photo and Laurie's little face is it, just kind of a picture of what the hell has happened to me? Where am I? Why are these people talking to me? It's just this little kind of shell-shocked little face, which is slightly heartbreaking. And also every morning that we drop them off at school, their, their playground has like a chain link fence. And they used to run through the doors and then round to this chain link fence, which you kind of walk past on a corner. And they'd sort of stand there like two RSPCA puppies. And it was so difficult every morning just to kind of leave them there and we'd be all like, have a lovely day. But now they don't even acknowledge me when I take them to school. So it's kind of like... Right, now they're like, bye mum, see ya, loads of friends. Oh, that must be a relief. That must be a relief. And when, when did the cameras start coming into your freelance self-employed life? When did you allow a film crew to come in and film you basically running a business? Because that's from, from me and a lot of people that know you from the TV sort of we're kind of like we know you as, as Rebecca from Chateau DIY like how did all of that come about and how does it feel to be filmed are there I know that there's one time which we won't talk about too much because it's very stressful for you where some kitchen unit top came <laughs> but like that's a kind of business moment where you're literally like I might as well have burnt money yeah but someone's filming and is going to be on the tv how does all of that feel as a self-employed person yeah so it kind of it came about they found us through instagram actually approached us and said would we be interested in in being part of it and initially i was a bit like oh my god this is my worst nightmare i the thought of someone being here filming me and mm. um it, it kind of terrified me but then we had a, a sensible discussion about it and said look we want to run this shuttle as a business and it, there is nothing better marketing wise than being on television really to a to that kind of audience but at the time it was before the first series had ever come out and they weren't allowed to tell us anything about it all they said was that it was a show about British people doing up chateaus and that Dick and Angel were involved in it and that was all they could tell us okay. and so I we had to sign up to it before we'd seen the first one they couldn't tell us anything about it and I just said to them look I need you to promise me that this isn't the sort of show where you're doing the whole look at these idiots doing up a chateau 
aren't they fools? Because I, I said, look, we're we want to run this as a business and I don't want it to be kind of negative. And so um, we started filming early May 2018. So we hadn't really, um, although we arrived in the September, it took us so long to get kind of artisans and plans and everything in place to start the renovations that we were really, really, really in the early stages of it. So it was quite weird to begin with because you're obviously... I had absolutely no idea how a TV show was made. I mean, for example, it, I mean, it's enormous amount of work that goes into it. it. It's kind of phenomenal when you look at it. And um, we filmed, for the last series, we filmed for probably 18 days, wow. full days over the space of about four or five months um, for basically, when you add it all up, probably about 45 minutes of footage. So there's an enormous amount of filming that goes on and loads of us waffling away ends up on the cutting room floor so it, it was kind of it's been quite an eye-opener and, and obviously they they film an awful lot that doesn't get shown which sometimes is a bit frustrating because sometimes we don't get any say in what goes on so we might have a bit that we really want people to see and equally we might have bits that we, we don't want people to see <laughs> although i have learned uh, because it's a pre-watershed TV, if something happens that I really don't want to be on TV, like I make a complete idiot out of myself, I just swear profusely because Brilliant. then I know they can... Absolutely. I was just going to say, you just say a really bad word? It's really good fun, but mm. it can kind of add to the tension a bit because obviously you've got film crews following you. You have to do things multiple times. It slows things down a lot uh, when you're kind of renovating, when you're getting ready to do something, because there's always kind of stop and, oh, can you just tell me what you're doing? And can you tell me what we're here for? And how long have you got left before the guests arrive? And, and all this kind of stuff. And, and obviously you're having to, it's very fly on the wall. They're, they're kind of mm. watching what we're doing, but sometimes they'll need to stop you because something will happen that they make, need to make sure they capture or they need to get a bit of backstory. And, and they have a, they have this tendency of saying right well we need to do one of these um face-to-face -face interviews where you're talking to the camera and it's like well i've got 20 minutes till my guests arrive yeah but we really need to do it now oh that must be um that must be really yeah. hard because it's like you know you, like you say it's invaluable to be filmed and fun as well but in the beginning it added a good amount of stress for us because um it kind of gave us extra deadlines to work towards mm. because when we got here, we kind of were a bit, wow, isn't this exciting? We're going to renovate this house. It's absolutely phenomenal. And we kind of went about everywhere, destroying everything and ripping everything. <laughs> and then I was kind of like, well, actually, no, we, we have to open this B&B at some point. And um, the money is going to run out pretty soon. So we need to be serious about this and, and focus on one area. And, and obviously, they're always saying, look, we want, we want to have a payoff. There needs to be a reveal. So it makes you focus on one project. And they were always like, what are you doing this week? What's happening now? What, what are you doing? And so it was kind of like, right, well, they need something else to film. So we need to make sure we finish this and this and this and this and this. And so it kind of gave us deadlines to work towards and kind of put the pressure on us to make sure that things were finished. Because, because you're also very conscious that you haven't just got those, those first two people that were filmed being our first guests. Mm. It's not just those people who are going to see it there's going to be a million people watching that episode so if I make a room that looks absolute rubbish <laughs> it's not two people I've got to go oh yeah I'm really sorry it's not quite perfect I've got to that there's going to be a million people looking at that room and I, I need them to not go well that looks rubbish I don't want to go and stay there so it kind of it does add that kind of pressure to make things look amazing and to make it to make things happen in time for the the tv to film it that's a good lesson as well actually in your social media as well isn't it because if they found you through instagram like i know a lot of people there's a love hate and every guest to me says they have a love hate with the social media they have certain platforms they prefer but 
it's a lesson, I guess, in you'd prepared the Instagram. So whoever the producer was looking through, they found your Instagram and felt like it had that kind of, so did it make you quite glad that you'd done those little steps that sometimes people might not, would you sort of say to people, yeah, set up an account, do some posts, you never know who's looking, you never know what client's looking, you never know what other business opportunity might come up just because you've got a present. I literally would not be without social media. I, I don't understand really how a business like ours survived without it and it has been absolutely phenomenal for us as a business. Um, Instagram in particular because it's so visual and because um, kind of we focused a lot on the interiors of our chateau that has made even before the TV went out we were getting bookings just because people had seen us on Instagram and loved the story and I try really hard not to overtly sell on social media mm. so it's more about um, kind of our life here how I feel about the chateau the kind of renovations and the running it and the day-to-day -day lifestyle of being here and being in France and um, kind of the beautiful surroundings and everything and I try to sell the lifestyle rather than say come and buy come and book a room blah blah yeah. and I think that that has worked really well for us just because people love to read that they love to hear about kind of the dream of living in France it's a big thing for Brits isn't it moving to France is, I don't mm. know if we have a genetic thing but British people love it's really sort of romantic idea isn't it so yeah I can imagine people do look at your Instagram and see that it's given us such wide reach as well because it, it's global and so we've had people just before Christmas we had some people fly all the way from Hawaii just to come here oh my goodness Phenomenal. That's and we've, we've had people from Australia, we've had people from Canada, just all over, all over Europe. Wow. It, it's just been phenomenal. So people who've never seen the TV show but have found us through Instagram. And I just, it, it's just a phenomenal medium for me. And, and it's such a, a kind of supportive community. Facebook's very different. But Instagram, it's all just generally supportive happy people come on there to see beautiful things and be inspired and that's kind of the the feeling i get from it and i just i just literally couldn't run our business without it someone said to me actually that you need something like seven touch points as a business for people okay. before people go to buy into something mm. especially at weddings and holidays and things so it might be that they they see you they see your website but then also if you've got a an instagram account or a Facebook account that you've got, and then they maybe sign up for your newsletter, and they read an article about you in a magazine or uh, a newspaper. Or they see you on TV, and or the, some, a friend recommends you them. But if a, so, the more touch points you have for somebody, the more likely they are to convert into a customer. And that, for me, is really interesting. This whole kind of marketing side of running our own business that I'm finding really fascinating. The kind of what makes people go do you know what I'm going to choose that chateau over another chateau or I'm going to go on holiday to France rather than go on holiday to Spain mm. I find it fascinating the kind of psychology behind it and learning about that kind of side of freelancing has been really interesting that's so cool as well because that's one of the things that I guess if you're in a staff job you might get the opportunity to find a new interest and something that really gets you passionate yes so sort of businesses end up getting their own social media you might have gone through that in some way in your careers but because you've gone to run your own business and you've needed to run the social media you've discovered something you're really really interested in by yeah. default as a businesswoman that's really cool yeah i love really that feeling 
and learning about how to kind of beat the algorithms and learning how to build a following and all that kind of stuff. I just find it really, so I've become a bit of a social media geek. Well, it seems to be working. It does. And you, you mentioned a little bit that the financial pressures, I mean, is that something that has been a real challenge for you as business owners? What have kind of been the highs and lows in terms of juggling the book balancing so we we aren't spendy people in any way shape or form but we bought a ridiculously large house uh, in a field that had possibly more problems than we anticipated and we, we knew that our pot of money was not enough to renovate the whole house we always knew that that was going to be a potential problem but we had hoped that it would last a little bit longer than it did <laughs> we we kind of we're fairly sensible. We don't splash the cash around and things like that. And we were we were very conscious that we had this pot of money and that we needed to make this stretch as far as we could. So we do it. We've done a lot of the renovation work ourselves. We've put in very long hours. And we've done a lot of work. But there are some things that we cannot do ourselves. So electrics and plumbing, things like that, putting in a septic tank. We can attempt those things, but I was very conscious that I wanted someone who had some proper skills to do the electrics because. You know, electricity, you don't really want to mess about with that. No. I certainly so, wouldn't want to do my own septic tank either. Frank. Even if it was a brand new clean one, I'd be like, I don't want to know what, if that goes wrong. I don't want to blame. <laughs> so we knew that they would be quite big spending items and they were. Mm-hmm. And that took up a lot of our budget. But m- more of our budget actually went on just living here. And we hadn't really oh, thought about the cost of living in France and everyone thinks oh we go on holiday to France everything's really cheap it's really amazing and that used to be the case kind of 10 years ago mm-hmm. when there was an exchange rate and money wasn't kind of almost at parity and prices in France for food and things have risen kind of exponentially recently and really everyone says now that the only things that are cheap in France are wine and houses and that is pretty much true across the board mm-hmm. so we ate into our renovation pot quite a lot just living and I was still um, freelancing as a journalist and working doing that which was amazing just to keep us ticking over but it wasn't enough living here and running the chateau costs about four thousand a month wow so gosh that's a lot of money yeah just that's before we do anything that's just existing so that's a lot of money and so we we ate into our pot quite quickly and by Christmas last year so what year are we in now? 2020. 2020. Christmas 2018, <laughs> we had basically run out of money. And we, in fact, we ran out of money a bit before that. We, we kind of ran out of money before we opened the Chambre d'Ote. And we knew, that we, we knew that we could make a success of the business, but we had a big gap to get us through to opening. And we were very fortunate that our parents had faith in us and knew that we would be able to make a success of it and believed in us. So they very kindly lent us the money. But having to go at the age of 38 and ask your mum, if you could, mum and dad, if you can borrow some money was slightly humbling and a bit stressful. And so they were amazing and lent us some money to tide us over to get us through. And we lived on beans and I still only have holy t-shirts. I went on so much about my holy t-shirts on social media that one of our guests bought me a t-shirt oh, when they came to oh that's a positive with the social media yeah. as well isn't it that's embroidered on the top it's right it's breton stripes as well it was brilliant oh that's adorable no it was really sweet but yes so that was quite stressful um mm. and we kind of knew that we wanted to keep renovating and we knew that we had to keep creating these rooms 
progress that costs money and yeah. so we have to keep spending on the renovations to be able to open the business and to get it going um but very fortunately uh we were able to ask our parents and we begged borrowed and stole uh mm -hmm. so that we could get ourselves through and we managed to get through to the beginning of the season last year and then money started to come in through bookings which was amazing but we did get to a point in July where we'd had all these bookings and we've been doing loads of work and then we had a bit of a lull and you because uh, obviously we take a 50% deposit so you, you okay. kind of get money coming in as a deposit and then and then you maybe have a gap before the guests start coming before you get that other 50% and it's that kind of whole cash flow thing yes so you kind of need to make sure that you're spreading out the the money and making sure that you're putting enough aside to keep you going through these times when it might be slightly leaner. It's a bit like when I was freelancing as a journalist, mm. always having to say yes to every piece of work because you don't know whether the next week or the next month you might not get in. familiar for people. That is such a scenario, isn't it? You're just like, well, you don't know. Say yes to everything in January because you just don't know what's going to be happening in February. But then you might have accepted tons and then you're worried about getting it all done suddenly. So you get all your bookings in. You're like, right, how am I going to host all these guests exactly? And so it's that whole kind of balancing how much you can actually take on and manage without letting people down. Yeah. while still bringing in enough money to keep you going through the rest of the year. So um, that's been a very steep learning curve. And the, and the money side of things has been very, very stressful, but we kind of feel like we're a bit more on top of it now. So we, and we understand a bit more about how the industry works and when the busy periods are likely to be and when the quiet periods are likely to be. And so we can manage things a bit better. But we've paid back our parents and that's... Yay. It is funny. <laughs> isn't it? I'm sure most people listening will have asked a parent, a friend, a sibling, somebody or the bank if you can't yeah. ask the bank again you go and ask family I mean I definitely have and it's that sort of sort of it's a shame that it's par for the course of freelance life but I guess when you're setting up a business sometimes yeah. you do need to if you can ask somebody so uh, I'm sure people will say oh god yeah me too me too but congrats on that because <laughs> as well it's nice to know when your slate's clean isn't it you're like oh good I can go yeah. find another jumper and what are the the joys of your freelance life in France because obviously when we started chatting you were talking about you know, finding a different life for you guys, you know, looking at something that bridged the gap between office work and sort of just coasting towards retirement and finding a huge adventure in, this, in the business world. What are the joys for you guys out there? I think it's quite a weird one and it's a bit, um, probably slightly sickening, but I really enjoy working with Tim. It's oh. funny. It's funny because as a couple, it could have gone either way. And that said, I don't think if I was an employer, I'd necessarily employ him. <laughs> sometimes I have to get very bossy. But we've kind of both found our uh, niches in the business and we both have different roles, but then we kind of are still working together. So he's very much front of house because he's a bit more gregarious than me. And I'm a bit more introverted and I tend to be in the background doing the cooking and coming out and saying hello and being nice to everyone, obviously, but not he's just very good at chatting and that works really well and and at the same time with the renovations tim's very practical and i'm the much more creative one and sometimes he'll be banging his head against the wall trying to solve a problem and then i'll come in with my creative brain and be like oh why don't you do it like this <laughs> and uh, and then he'll go oh actually actually yeah that might work yeah. begrudgingly and then sometimes i'm being all creative and and wafting around everywhere not not really getting anywhere and he'll just say well why don't you do it like this in a very practical way and then it works so we kind of balance each other out which has been quite nice because I mean we could have killed each other but we haven't which is is lovely <laughs> and the other thing is just living here that's phenomenal and the kids having being able to have a very outdoorsy childhood which is what mm. we wanted I love being 
surrounded by countryside and trees and not having neighbours so I can kind of throw the shutters open in the morning and go bonjour and then start singing the opening song from Beauty and the Beast and there's no one to see me doing it. I love that you've told us that, that's absolutely brilliant. It's my morning ritual. I have to do it quietly when we've got guests, I don't want to wake them up. But yeah, so I, yeah, I kind of love that, that kind of living in the wilderness side of it is is definitely very lovely and and even if I don't get full days to enjoy it there's normally a moment in a day when I get kind of five minutes to take a deep breath somewhere and look at the beautiful outside and appreciate it a bit and and the house is very good at dragging me back from being busy it's quite distracting at times like I'm a bit obsessed with light and flowers and all that kind of stuff and there's always that kind of stuff around and I'll be passing walking past a door in the corridor and see some light filtering underneath it and open a door and the room will be full of sunshine and it will just be lovely and that kind of thing is is what makes it worth it even if I'm dealing with like blocked toilets or broken taps or a wall's fallen down somewhere or something's broken because things happen all the time because it's an old house but there's always something positive to kind of pull you through and then that's that's so brilliant and before I get you to tell us where people can find you I just love it if you had a piece of advice you might give people who either self-employed people who are thinking of making a similar change to you or people who watch the show and think I want a chateau what's the one piece of advice you'd give someone if they were thinking of setting up a business like yours at the chateau you just have to be prepared to kind of give your all to it it's not mm. something you can do as a side hustle it's a it's an all or nothing kind of leap you have to be in it and you have to keep going because because if you don't keep going it will consume you mm-hmm. so it's a, very much a throw yourself into it and go into it with your eyes open knowing that it's going to be the most the hardest you've ever worked but also the most rewarding thing you could ever do it's it's one of those things where you just have to do it you just you can't I think if I'd have thought about it and if I'd have done any maths or any sums or had any rational thoughts about it, I would have talked myself out of it quite quickly. And I think the fact that we, this was the only chateau we looked at, we, we saw it and within six months we were here. I think that was probably a good thing for me because I think if I'd have procrastinated too long and thought about it too much, if you want to do it, just do it. Because I think there's, like you said before, if the worst comes to the worst, we'll just come back to the UK mm. and we'll find something else to do. And, but then we can say to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, we once owned a chateau in France. It didn't work out, but we did it. It's, that's the kind of thing. Tell everybody how they can find you. What's the Instagram? What's the website? If somebody would like to have a look and potentially book, we can see you on Channel 4. But yeah, tell us the website and the Instagram so people can find your beautiful um, chateau. So our website is www.chateaudelarouche.com. Mm-hmm. and on Instagram we are at Chateau de la Rouge and um, we're the same on Facebook as well so yeah just Chateau de la Rouge just google us and just google that and we'll find it thank you so much for sharing your freelance feels with me it's been a pleasure <laughs> Thank you for listening to Freelance Feels, the podcast for humans who work for themselves. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to review it. You can find out more about Freelance Feels at www.freelancefeels.com. Follow on Instagram or Twitter at freelance underscore feels. And now subscribe to the Freelance Feels newsletter at freelancefeels.substack.com.